My name is Tim. I am one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. Uh, it is an honor to sweat it out in here today with you. I will uh, be wiping my brow a lot with this, so of all the distractions, I hope you're not distracted by that this morning. Um, I'm excited that in a little while we're going to have the first annual Redemption Hill Northside Field Day. Uh, we did not know or plan that it would be the hottest day ever, um, but it is. So here we are. We have a lot of water out there. We got a lot of ice. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of fun for all those who can uh, join together with us. Uh, we are going to be in Psalm chapter 145 today. And uh, before we read it together, I want to let you know a couple things about this, about this psalm. This is the last psalm attributed to David. It was written while he was king. This was the, the last psalm that he, that he wrote that was recorded. Uh, this is the only psalm that uses the word praise in the title. This is specifically referred to as a psalm of praise. And while the psalms have been uh, noti noticed as, as psalms of praise, this is the only one that is specifically referred to as a psalm of praise. Um, and every, every psalm after this psalm, Psalms 146 through 150, every psalm after this psalm begins and ends with, with hallelujah, begins and ends with praise the Lord. Every one of them begins and ends with praise the Lord. And so Psalm 145 really ushers us into a grand theater where there is a never-ending concert of praise. And so that is what we're going to focus on today. This psalm is clearly and unquestionably all about the greatness of God and how greatly to be praised He truly is. And so that is what we are going to be reminded of today. So uh, with that in mind, uh, this is the last time I will ask this of you, but if you are able, stand with me uh, and let's read together uh, from Psalm chapter 145. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. The glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, 
you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his name forever and ever. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Teach us and remind us of your greatness today, and let us be so filled with awe because of your mighty acts that we would praise, proclaim, declare, and shout your works from generation to generation. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you may be seated. <laughs> Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. <laughs> when I was a kid, late 80s, I believed wholeheartedly that Tom Cruise was the greatest actor in the world. That was a weird phase. My wife would tell you that was not a phase, but it's still very true today. It is not true, uh, but the, tra the trailer for Top Gun just came out, and uh, it was awesome. There's a sequel. It's going to be great. Uh, I also believe that Michael Jordan was the greatest athlete on the planet, and, and I still hold to that to this day. I am ready to fight you if you want to say otherwise. I feel confident that MJ could still win a championship if he was still playing today. He's like 65, but I think he could do it. I thought that Pizza Hut was hands down the greatest pizza on the planet. I thought that Lib Little Debbie's Swiss Rolls were the greatest dessert ever invented, and that nothing could ever possibly be better. Um, hopefully some of you agree. I believe the greatest two songs in the world were Parents Just Don't Understand by the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Will Smith, and You Gotta Fight for Your Right to Party by the Beastie Boys. I was 11 when that song came out. I had not been to a party at that point. But somehow I believed that I, I truly needed to fight for my right to go to one. My son Abraham really loves superheroes right now, and almost daily he asks me, Dad, do you know who the greatest superhero is? And almost daily, he tells me a different superhero. A few days ago, he told me that the greatest superhero was something called Clayface. I, I didn't believe that was real. Apparently, it is. Uh, but I've never heard of Clayface. And so um, I, I told Abraham, there's no way that that is the greatest superhero. And Abraham went on to tell me all the reasons that Clayface is, in fact, the greatest superhero and why all his friends believe he's the greatest superhero. And I quickly realized that I am now the parent in the song, Parents Just Don't Understand. We use the word great a lot to describe things that are often, in all honesty, not that great. And we use it to describe the best days of our lives. We say this is the greatest day of my life when we get a promotion, we get the job that we've always wanted, the day that our children are born. We use the word great a lot. So it makes it challenging when we run up against verses like verse 3 that talk so beautifully of the greatness of God to really understand what great means. David says here, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Unsearchable is his greatness. But if Tom Cruise, Swiss Rolls, and Clayface are also great, then that doesn't mean that much to my life. Our definition of greatness is all too small. In fact, we probably shouldn't be coming up with our own definition of greatness. We shouldn't let the world and the things of the world define greatness for us. We need to let God be the definition of greatness. He is the very definition of greatness. And then we hold everything else up against the greatness of God. 
There is no one who can compare with God. The prophet Jeremiah in the Bible put it like this. There is no one like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. There is no one like you, O Lord. God stands alone as great. Whatever great means, God alone stands as great. So then let's let this psalm, David's psalm, help define for us what it means that God is great. Just listen to the language that David uses that we just read. He starts right there in verse 3 with his greatness is unsearchable. Literally, his greatness knows no end or it cannot be traced. Whatever your greatest thought of God is, it cannot ever come close to the true greatness of God. Whatever you think about God, however great you think God is, it will never come close to tr the true greatness of God. David continues throughout this psalm to describe the greatness of God. In verse 4, he describes it as mighty acts. In verse 5, it is his wondrous works. Verse 6, he, he describes it as the might of your awe-inspiring acts. In verse 12, he talks about your mighty, merciful deeds, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Might, wonder, awe-inspiring, merciful, mighty, glorious, splendor. This is the language that David uses. This is the language that, that an older King David uses. This is coming from David as king. This is not David simply as the shepherd boy, but this is from a man who has led armies and kingdoms. This is a man who is, who is, who is leading kingdoms. He, he, and he says in verse 13, he proclaims that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. He is speaking as one with a lot of power, but he knows it is a small temporary kingdom in comparison with God's kingdom. Our country and every nation on earth is a small temporary kingdom in comparison with God's kingdom. The great Christian author C.S. Lewis once said, in God you come up against something that is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. In God you come up against something that is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. That is true for everyone that ever, ever lived. That is true for every nation that has ever existed. No matter how wealthy, how respected, how much power, how intelligent, how much better you think you are than other people, when you truly see and understand the greatness of God, you are confronted with someone who is immeasurably superior to yourself. Hebrews chapter 1, the author gives us a small glimpse at, at what that means, uh, gives us a small glimpse at, at the power of God, at the power of Christ. Speaking of Jesus, uh, the author says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. You aren't that great. I'm not that great. There is no nation, there is no ruler, there is no power on this planet that is that great. If that doesn't eliminate every remnant of pride from your heart, then you haven't really been confronted with the greatness of God. Because when you are confronted with the greatness of God, you are also beautifully and wonderfully shown how loving, committed, and faithful He is. He uses that power. He uses that might to show us how loved we are. In verse 17, David says that he is righteous in all his ways, faithful in all his acts. Verse 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call out to him. Verse 19 says that he hears the cry of those who cry out for help and he saves them. 
This is the greatness of God. And when you truly see that, it will transform your life. When you are confronted with the overwhelming greatness of God in His power, you are also immediately shown His gentle faithfulness as He reaches out His hand to save you. God uses infinite power, unsearchable power, to show, to show you how much He loves you, how much He is on your side. If you believe that, if you truly believe that, then that would transform you. That will completely transform the way we live. That will completely transform the way we believe, the way we talk. As just a sample, if we believe the greatness of God, we would not be so consumed with how people see us. If we believe the greatness of God, we wouldn't have to pursue and we wouldn't pursue lustful images. If we believe the greatness of God, we wouldn't feel so envious of everyone around us. If we believe the greatness of God, we wouldn't let our careers take over our identity. If we believe the greatness of God, we would serve freely, we would give cheerfully, we would make sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. And if we believe the greatness of God, then we would do everything we can to know it and to make it known. That is just the fingertip of the impact that the greatness of God has on our lives. If we believe the greatness of God, we would talk about the greatness of God. We would praise the greatness of God. We would make sure that others around us knew how great God is and that everyone should, in fact, praise Him forever. If we truly believe the greatness of God, then we would know that the right response to His greatness is, in fact, great praise. David says, the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. And yet, we praise God with such apprehension in our heart. We praise God with such apprehension of what people will think of us if we do it too much. We are more afraid as being, of being seen as out of touch than we are infatuated with a God who created everything. Because it is safer in our culture to talk about the creation than it is to talk about an infinitely great creator. So what does it actually mean for us to greatly praise God? If we are, if we are called to, to, to greatly praise Him, well, verse 2 gives us some insight in that of Psalm 145. David says, every day, every day I will bless you. Every day I will praise you. That means that every day I will wake up and believe that God is great and greatly to be praised. And that will shape and impact all that I do and say. David doesn't say here, every day I will carve out some time in my busy schedule to read your word. David doesn't say, every day I will try really hard to remember to spend some time in prayer. David doesn't say, someday, after I've accomplished enough, made enough money, got far enough in my career, then I'll really have some time to praise you, oh God. David says, there is never a single day in the past, present, or future where God will not be worthy of praise. There is never a day, no matter what is going on, no matter where you're at in life, that God is not worthy of praise. Where God's works will, will, will be mighty, where He will cease to be gracious, merciful, and abounding in steadfast love, that, that day will never come. There will never come a day where His might will fail, where His mercy will fail. There will always be an overwhelming case for praising God. The Puritan pastor Jonathan Edwards said it this way, he said, the believer delights in giving the praise of all that he has, all that he is, and all that he enjoys to God, because he knows that it all comes from God. 
It is not owing to his own strength to get it or, it's, or to his own merit to deserve it or his own ability to sustain it, but alone to the power of God and mercy of God and being willing and able to give it. The believer delights in giving the praise of all that he has, all that he is, and all that he enjoys to God because he knows it all comes from God. How do you praise God every day, forever and ever? How do you praise God greatly? It starts by knowing that everything comes from Him. Everything that we have is a gift of God. And so you live all of your life like it is, in fact, a gift from God. You look at all of your relationships as gifts from God. You look at your work, your family, your home, and know that apart from God, you could do nothing and you would have nothing. Apart from God, you would not have any of this. You look at the fact that God has saved you from sin, saved you from the power of death, and know that apart from God, you would be completely lost in darkness for all eternity. Colossians 1, talking about the power of Christ, says, this is Colossians chapter 1, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and in Him all things hold together. Many of us live and enjoy what God has created. We, we live and enjoy what God is holding together. We enjoy what God has done for us without sincerely and greatly praising Him for it. David says, you are highly to be praised. You are greatly to be praised every day, forever and ever. And yet for most of us, we half-heartedly praise Him maybe once a week. A great God is worthy of great praise every moment of every day. There is no day that goes by that God is not great. There is no day that goes by that we are not utterly and completely in need of God. And so there is no day, no moment that goes by that we should not greatly praise Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, British preacher, once proclaimed that no chorus is too loud, no orchestra too large, no psalm too lofty for making much of the Lord of hosts. No chorus is too loud, no orchestra too long, no, no, no psalm too lofty for making much of the Lord of hosts. You can't do this with too much passion. You can't praise God too greatly. If we truly believe the greatness of God, then we would greatly praise Him. We would praise Him every day, forever and ever. If we believe the greatness of God, then we would declare His works to everyone we see, and specifically in this psalm, to the next generation. Verse 5 of this psalm, David tells us, One generation shall praise your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. We need to learn to talk how to talk about the greatness of God. We need to learn to do it and how to do it. The Psalms teach us how to communicate with each other. They show us how to rightly use a powerful tool, tool to the glory of God. Uh, the average person uses around 15,000 words per day. That's over 100,000 words per week. I know some of you are saying, nope, nowhere near that. Uh, introverts just said, wow, I'm really not using that many words. Um, some of you use 100,000 words a day, and we appreciate you. Um, so apparently we are talking about something. Apparently most of us, if we're using that many words in a week, have a lot to say. We have fallen in love with talking. 
We have fallen in love with talking about ourselves. We have fallen in love with talking about other people. But how many of us truly have fallen in love with talking about God? How many of us have fallen in love with talking about the mighty works and the mighty acts of God? How many of those 100,000 words did you use this week to talk about how great God is? I know if I tallied it up, it wouldn't be very many. We know all too well how to make our views known, how to talk about politics, sports, entertainment, education, parenting. We know how to sound intelligent and confident when we talk about those things. But as soon as we start talking about the greatness of God, we immediately start sounding like a bad internet meme. It sounds like a card that your grandmother sent you in the mail, and we just don't want to sound like that. We immediately sound like we are out of touch with reality. And we act like the chief sin in the world is sounding cheesy, sounding irrelevant. So we will do all we can to seem relevant. We will do all we can to seem intelligent, even if it means we don't talk this way. We don't talk the way David does about the power of God, about the might and greatness of God. We tell ourselves that we don't want to, to overdo it talking about God. We don't want to give anyone a hint that we are religious. We don't want to be seen as, as hypocrites. And so because of that, we too often swing much too far the other way, and we don't talk about God at all. Uh, we certainly don't talk about His great and mighty works. We are not in, in, in danger of proclaiming His mighty works too much. We are not in danger of singing too passionately at the end of this service. We are not in danger of telling too many people about His great and mighty works. But we might be in danger of not praising Him greatly. We might be in danger of not telling anyone about what God has actually done in our life and in the lives of others. We hear that we need to talk about God's greatness, but we just don't do it <laughs> because we don't actually know what it means. We don't know, actually know what it looks like. There's a verse in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 17. It is, a, it is uh, a good verse. It's a beautiful verse. It says this, we are told to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, this has always been one of those verses where someone quotes it or reads it. We're in community group, and somebody brings it up. And, and I'm always shaking my head. I'm like, man, yeah, that's really good. Inside, all I'm thinking is, what in the world does that mean? What, what am I poss possibly supposed to do with this? What does it mean to talk to somebody in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? I can't go up to Raymond and say, hey, Ray. Psalm 144, our cattle will be well fed. There will be no breach in the walls. Have a good day. Um, it, it can be really difficult to figure out how to talk to each other and what to talk to each other about because it feels so unnatural. It can feel so awkward. It's not natural within us. But David says here, one generation shall commend or praise your works, your mighty acts, Literally, he is saying that we radiate the greatness of God to one another. We are boasting. We are bragging on the greatness of God. This becomes something we are proud of. This is not simply teaching each other. That is certainly valuable and worthy, but it is also that we proclaim what God has done in our lives. We, we shine out. We radiate what God has done in our lives, in the lives of others, how he has worked in our generation and the generations before us.
Each generation needs to see and believe that God is at work in their lives and then proclaim that to another generation. Each generation has the opportunity to tell their stories of God's work, to see their story as a part of God's great story. David in this psalm keeps coming back to this so that we will understand what it means. He uses it several times. He talks about what it actually means to proclaim the greatness of God. In verse 6, he says that they will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts. In verse 7, he says they will give a testimony of the goodness of God and will sing joyfully of God's righteousness. Verse 11, he says they will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might. We commend, we radiate, we shine out God's greatness, we proclaim the power, we tell the stories of God's goodness, we joyfully sing of God's righteousness, we speak of how his kingdom is greater than every other kingdom, and we declare his might. That's what we are called to do. That's, that's what someone who is overwhelmed and has seen the greatness of God will do. That is what we talk about. But then who do we actually talk to? It is, it is difficult enough to talk to people that have similar interests and experiences. It is difficult enough to talk to people that you know that you're on the same page about the greatness of God, people that already share your point of view. It's difficult enough to make friends with people your own age, but to start to, start to talk to someone young, younger or older than ourselves is very unnatural and not something we easily do. We don't naturally get each other. My six-year-old is, is telling jokes all the time that, that doesn't make any sense. And he asks us, he asks us repeatedly, does that make sense? And I say, no, it doesn't. Um, and, but, but somehow, when he's around his, his friends, his six-year-old friends are cracking up. And I'm just watching it, and I'm thinking, these aren't good jokes. You, you literally just keep saying the word poop in different voices, and you and your friends just keep laughing harder and harder. And, and I start to laugh after a little while, so it is a little funny. But uh, when there is a generation gap, you don't naturally click with people that are younger or older than you. So when we hear the word generation, we immediately just think, ah, that's, that's parents and grandparents talking to their kids. This is not simply talking about parents, so don't, don't isolate it there. It is certainly essential for parents to be doing this. Parents need to be teaching their children about the great and mighty works of God. We need to teach model and praise so that our kids see what it looks like to be in absolute awe of what God has done and is doing. But parents, your job isn't done when you are finished with your children. Don't think that this is only a call to teach your children, as if once you're done raising your children, you are now released from doing this. Now that your kids are grown, you no longer have any part in declaring the works of God to the next generation. And no matter how old you are, what stage of life you're at, please don't hear this and think, that's something parents need to be doing, but not for me. Or think, yes, finally, Tim said it. Somebody needs to be doing this for me. Uh, please don't hear this and think, Tim's right. I need a mentor. How do I do that? No matter your age, you are a part of this enduring and valuable chain of passing on what it means to sincerely, wholeheartedly praise God. No matter your age, you are a part of God's plan of each generation every nation hearing about his great and mighty works. When David wrote this, he wrote it as a community effort. He didn't use parent language. He didn't use mentor language. He was talking to a community. He was talking to a generation. You are a part of a generation, no matter how old you are. And there is always a generation coming behind you. 
So you need to be doing this for others. This is an all-hands-on-deck call to proclaim God's greatness. We need people in their 20s and 30s working with our middle and high schoolers, showing them the greatness of God. We need those in their 40s and 50s having those 20 and 30-year-olds over for dinner, talking to them about how God has shaped and transformed their lives. We need those in their 60s and 70s and 80s encouraging and strengthening those younger than them, reminding them that the great works of God only grow stronger and more beautiful throughout life. And we need all of us, every one of us, in RH kids teaching the little ones so that they can see that generation after generation, God saves people. God works in the lives of each generation, and we want those kids to know that he will do mighty works in their generation and the generations that come after them. We all need to have in us what the author of Psalm 71 has. He says in verses 17 and 18, this has become like my favorite like, verse ever. This is Psalm 71, verses uh, 17 and 18. The psalmist here says, God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still proclaim your wondrous works. Even while I am old and gray, O oh God, do not abandon me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your strength to all who, who are to come. That is it right there. If you want a purpose-driven life, that is it right there. That is a man who knows his purpose. You have taught me from my youth, and I've been proclaiming your works this entire time. And now, God, don't abandon me so that I can proclaim it to all those who are still yet to come. That is a bad man right there. Asking God to give you a few more days so that you can proclaim your, his power to another generation, that is awesome. That I get it. It's weird. It's possible, but it's weird. It feels awkward, but it is worth it. It's worth a little bit of fumbling and some awkwardness to get to the point where we as a church, we as Redemption Hill are defined by generation upon generation talking to each other about the greatness of God, teaching each other what it is to praise God, and trusting and believing that this is something we are going to do forever and ever. And surely the power of God that created all things, parted the Red Sea, raised Christ from the dead, Surely that power is still enough to get you through an awkward conversation with someone different than you. These are the last words we have of David. He uses a lot of words to talk about the greatness of God. There are 66 chapters written about David in the Old Testament. There are 59 references to David in the New Testament. And David wrote 73 Psalms. David uses a lot of his words to talk about God's greatness. And so what do we get as his final words? What is the last thing recorded that we would hear him say? Verse 21 is his, is his absolute final words that we hear from David. Psalm 145, verse 21. He says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The last thing recorded by David in the Bible is, I will praise God. I will tell others that they need to praise God, and everyone needs to praise God for all eternity. David saw the greatness of God and saw that there wasn't anything else that could come close to being worthy of praise. David's final recorded words were to tell others that he praises God and they should too. So we, we should talk to each other. We should talk to those younger than us about how God has made the Bible come to life for us. 
how he has been present with you through difficult times and brought good out of impossible situations. You should talk about how he has broken the power of sin in your life and how he has shown you that there is no value in living for yourself. We should talk about these things every day. We've got a, we've got a good opportunity today. We're going to go outside. It's going to be really hot. You're going to have an opportunity to, to talk to people. We've got good opportunities coming up. We've got a men's breakfast next Saturday and our women's gathering the first week of August. We will have chances to sit with people that we haven't talked to before, learn about them, listen to their story, and talk to them about how God has worked in our lives. It is easy to bypass these opportunities, to just sit with people you feel most comfortable with, but join in on these events and use them as a springboard to start a conversation about the greatness of God. I realize some of you might say, I, I, I haven't seen this. I don't, I don't see what you're talking about. I haven't seen God's mighty acts in my life. I understand. You doubt and question maybe if there is a God, and if there is, if he, if he is really capable and willing to do anything great in your life. You might see it in others' lives. You might see it in, in, in nature, but you just can't believe that he is great in your life. I've certainly been there myself for, for a prolonged period of time, asking if God is truly good, if, if God is truly great. But what we are confronted with in Psalm 145 is someone saying that our circumstances today or tomorrow or yesterday don't determine the greatness of God. That no matter how you view what is happening in your life right now, that God is still great and does great and mighty works. I know it might feel that God is not great toward you, but it is simply not true. When you doubt the greatness of God, when you question how mighty He is to act in your life, then I want you to remember, I, I plead with you to remember that every powerful act, every bit of his might is pointing toward God's greatest act of might, faithfulness, and love. As incredible as it is that he created our entire world, as incredible as it is that, that he created it out of nothing, that, that he upholds it by the word of his power, as incredible as it is that he took a sea and separated the waters just long enough for his people to pass through, all of that points to the greatness of his power that was on display when he sent his son into the world, when he, when, he raised his, when he raised Christ from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death, saving his people, and seating him above all other powers. Romans chapter 8 tells us that no other power can separate us now from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are told that no rulers, no angels, no powers can separate us from the love of God that means that whatever else you see in this world is powerful. Whatever powers you fear, whatever powers make you worry or filled with anxiety, whatever powers you think you have, no other power can do a single thing to separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing else that has any power can lessen God's love for you and his grasp on you. Even if all the powers of the universe join together, they couldn't lessen one bit the power of God and the love of God that we now have in Christ Jesus. That's the greatness of God. That's the greatness of power and might on display. That is the power of God that was offered for you so that you might have life. We are reminded that Christ was raised from the dead, raised from the grave on the third day. His work on the cross succeeded in covering our sins. His work on the cross succeeded in bringing forgiveness to his people. His work on the cross succeeded in reconciling us to God the Father. His work on the cross succeeded in reconciling us to God. 
and reconciling us to one another and making us a part of his family. In his resurrection, Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power. Jesus himself proclaims in Revelation 1, he says this, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus conquered the most powerful forces in the universe when he conquered sin and death. Jesus conquered death, and now he has is, he is gone to prepare a place where we can be with him joyously forever and ever. As one pastor put it, this is the gospel of God's massive, extravagant, powerful work toward us. That is worthy of our praise. That alone is worthy of our praise. So we turn away from everything else that would draw our attention away from that, and we turn to God and cry out and say, I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. Let everything that, that praise his holy name forever, uh, forever and ever, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Proclaim that to every generation. Proclaim that to everyone that you know. Proclaim that every day, every day that you have. Ask God to give you more days so that you can keep doing it for more generations. We are going to spend a minute in reflection. And then for those who have trusted in Christ, we are going to take communion together. Uh, for those of you who have not trusted in Christ, not believed in Christ during this time, I, I hope that you will consider the great might and power of God. And I hope that you will watch as his church comes and proclaims that they are completely in need of him. As they come forward and, and, and do that in complete need of him. And I pray that you would talk to someone about it. Talk to someone about what it means to trust and follow after Christ. There are some prayers in the back of your worship guide and your bulletin uh, to reflect on, to think through. But talk to someone about it. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ and believed in his power to save us, we're going to come forward and we're going to take the bread and dip it into the juice and we're going to hear the power of God proclaimed. We're going to hear the power of God proclaimed in, in hearing that Christ was given for us, Christ was offered for us, that Christ came and died so that we could be saved, that Christ's blood was shed and his body was given so that we could be saved. And, and as you are coming, you are proclaiming the gospel. The Apostle Paul tells us, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as you come, you are proclaiming the great power of God as seen in his son. So we will be reminded of his power and we will proclaim his power as a church. Father, remind us of this today. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your great might. Thank you for examples of, of people who knew what it was to praise you every day forever and ever. I pray that you would make that more of a reality in our, in our midst, that you would make a more reality in our people, that we would talk about these things consistently. We would talk about these things when we wake up, when we go to sleep. We would talk about these things with people around us, with people in our communities. I pray that you would put this on our lips and that we would talk about it every day. We praise you for your power and we praise you for your great might. Remind us of that today. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.